Is this evidence, if not confirmation, that Michigan truly has taken control of the Ohio State rivalry? We'll discuss next on this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. But there's going to be one team that's going to play solely as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. Looks deep for Anthony Clark. Waits for it. Him caught. Hey, 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 Brady gets terrific. Present and a touchdown night again. Schultz just before Brazil got him. And a leaping interception by Woodson. Harbaugh back to throw over the middle. Caught by Colazar at the five on his feet. Touchdown, Michigan. season is over. You and I know. It's going to be Michigan again. Michigan. Go Blue, I'm Steve Dace. Welcome to this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. And let us begin with what I just teased. Now, I am not a huge recruiting guy. And what I mean by that is, number one, I think it's kind of to catch a predator creepy to be following 16, 17-year-old boys around constantly uh, wondering about a decision they're going to make. Number two, uh, the mob is fickle, teenagers even more so. All right. So, uh, for example, Michigan's top recruit in the class of 2025, Chris Ewald, has taken visits to other schools while he's recruiting for Michigan. I, I don't, you know, disparage a 15 or 16 year old kid that isn't ready yet to quite commit to a, a life changing decision two years before he has to make it or one year before he has to make it. And so I tend to get more involved as we get closer to time, closer to signing day, uh, when guys actually sign, how good is the class, when things are a little bit more determined than this early in the game. Nevertheless, there was a commitment for the University of Michigan's football program this week that certainly sent shockwaves uh, across the rivalry, if not uh, the entirety of college football. Jordan Marshall is considered right now, according to 24-7 Sports, the number one skill position. And see, that's a key right there. I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, the number one skill position talent in the state of Ohio for the class of 2024, one of the highest rated running backs in the country, grew up an Ohio State fan. And yet this week, gave his verbal commitment to the University of Michigan. One Ohio State message board has 12 pages 
of posts about this commitment and how traumatized they are by this news and what it may say. In fact, Jordan Marshall may not be alone. He's considered the number five overall prospect in the state of Ohio. There's at least one other player in the top five that everyone agrees Michigan leads for and maybe two. And so the question then has to get to the results of the last two years. And is this evidence, if not confirmation, that the rivalry really has turned, that Michigan is absolutely in control? Let's say this. You're still dealing with The Ohio State University. And every program in college football, everyone, Michigan had its downturn. Alabama had a downturn pre-Saban. Everybody's had a downturn. Notre Dame's had a couple of downturns in the last three or four decades. In modern times, really even going back to when Woody Hayes arrived on campus in the early 1950s. Since then, every major program in college football has had a downturn, but one. One program has not. And it's the Ohio State University. They're the only one. They maybe have had a season or two where they disappointed. I think of the team in 1987 that was preseason number five, finished 6-4-1. and one. Earl Bruce gets fired. You think of the 6-6 six and six team, the year that they had the interim coach when Jim Tressel got fired. Every now and then, they may disappoint in a given season. But there has not been a singular downturn in the program since then, even John Cooper, when he was going to 10 and one against Michigan, was often having 10 win top five, top 10 teams. So the Buckeyes aren't going anywhere. Too many advantages, maybe the best job in America when you consider the conference they're in. They don't have the academic rigors or at least pretend to that Michigan does. Um, and uh, and they're also in the largest one of the largest television markets in the country that doesn't have a pro sports team in the three major pro sports, NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball. So there's also a a ton of corporate money there that can go into their program that doesn't get distracted by going elsewhere in the sporting arena. So they're not going anywhere. And even if Ryan Day loses to Michigan again and goes nine and three, which I think he'd get fired if he did that, if they go 11 and one and lose to Michigan again, he's not going to get fired. Uh, But even if Ryan Day were to crater, cratering at Ohio State is a relative term. We're talking like they might go eight and four or something. All right. There's too many advantages at that program. What is more than likely here is what Jerry DiNardo talked about last year when the Big Ten made its bus tour around the conference, that when he looked at the talent, both on this year's rosters and the emerging talent coming in future years for both Michigan and Ohio State, he thought they were clearly the class of the league. They were clearly closer than they have been uh, than at any point since the Big Ten went on the air in 2007. And he even went so far as to say he thought we were on the brink of maybe another 10-year war Uh, given the stakes that they were going to be playing for each and every season. Now, of course, that's hallowed ground in this rivalry. And so you dare not go there unless you really mean it. But I do think we are heading into an era now where they are going to be co-combatants. And that has not happened often in this rivalry. If you look at the history, it's really been a history of streaks. The, the one period of time where they did punch, you know, Ollie Frazier in the middle of a ring, just standing there laying in haymakers. The one time that did happen was the 10 year war. And that's what DiNardo compared it to. Uh, Pretty much the history of this rivalry has been pendulum swings from one side to the other. Now, of course, I hope as a Michigan fan, and that's what the majority of you watching this right now, although I'm guessing we will have a sizable rubbernecking Buckeye contingent for this episode in particular. But since this is Michigan 
podcast, not rivalry podcast, and we'll get an Ohio State perspective in the interest of fairness from Mark Rogers in a few minutes. But since this is Michigan podcast, I'd love nothing more than for this to signal a pendulum swing and Ohio State can find out what it means when mama told you it ain't no fun when the rabbits got the gun. But History has taught me as someone who will be 50 years old later this year, and I'm not sure whether I am proud or depressed to say that, but history over the course of living half a century and 35 years of it or more as a fan of this team and this rivalry has taught me pendulum swings are typically the way that this goes. Now, what we had the previous 20 years before Michigan getting off the schneid in 21 is one of the most extreme pendulum swings in the history of the rivalry, but I certainly would not be shocked nor would I be disappointed if Michigan wins again this year, maybe the next few years in a row. More than likely, what we're entering into, though, is an era where both of them are going to be at the top of their game, particularly the more that Michigan embraces NIL. And then you're talking about the kind of rivalry that those of you who are a little bit older than me grew up watching with Woody and Bo. I think we could see that again, depending on how much longer Jimmy sticks around Ann Arbor and how much longer Ryan Day lasts in Columbus. Let's discuss with a Columbus perspective from our good friend Mark Rogers. We'll do that next. Well, you heard what I had to say. Let's find out what they think on the other side of the uh, scarlet and gray septic tank there with our good friend Mark Rogers, who has himself a fantastic college football channel right here on YouTube, the voice of college football. And really, folks, you want to be paying attention to this year round, but really now in the offseason? when you may get a little bit of information that may prove to be profitable for later uh, uh, deployments and uh, applications, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, because Mark covers the sport year-round. So, I mean, he's got stringers and correspondents covering every major program on his YouTube channel year-round. So, I mean, you get a lot of the information out there before it filters into the rest of the market, which can uh, lead to some pretty profitable investments. So, Mark, it's good to see you again, my friend. How are you? Good to see you, Steve, uh, even under these circumstances in which the, the sky is falling in Buckeye land. And I guess this is what we wear. We put on. Uh, you are Michigan wearing black. Blue. When we're mourning, I guess this is our, <laughs> our morning color. All right. So just to reset things, Jordan Marshall is right now uh, rated the top skill prospect in the class of 24 in the state of Ohio. And I didn't bring this up. I said I was going to bring it up later. I want to bring it up now. To me, that's the big issue. It, it, it's one thing if, you know, a, a lineman or two, you, you know, maybe seeps through there uh, and looks at what Michigan has done on the offensive line the last couple of years. But it's been a minute since Michigan has beaten Ohio State uh, for a skill kid out of the state of Ohio. Uh, and I, the last time I can think about it happening at all was Blake Corum. I think that's the last time Michigan beat Ohio State for a skill kid like anywhere in the country, let alone in Ohio State's backyard. Uh, and I, I mean, one major Ohio State website I mentioned has a 12-page thread of posts about this commitment and what it means for the rivalry. Um, and I, I, based on what I've seen from Michigan recruiting, I don't think he's going to be alone. Now, there was a, another you know, lesser touted Ohio kid in a lineman who committed yesterday, but uh, at least one other kid in the top five in Ohio is heavily leaning Michigan and maybe two other kids, including the number one kid. So those are things to hear about maybe in the, in the not-too-distant future. But that begs the question, has Michigan taken total control of this rivalry. Now, I, I I noted going back to the day Woody Hayes got fired. This is the only I'm sorry, hired. This is the only major program in college football. So we're going back to the mid, to the early mid 50s now that has suffered no downturns, a down season every now and then. 
but no downturns. So I don't think Ohio State's going anywhere. More than likely, we may be heading into something we don't see often in this rivalry. We haven't really seen it since the 10-year war, where both teams kind of slug back and forth on a year-to-year basis. This has normally been a rivalry where both teams are both very good, but it swings one pendulum and and one to the other. And so maybe we're heading more toward a 10-year war kind of a period than a Michigan dominance period. But what are you sensing right there now within uh, Buckeye country, Mark? Well, this is completely different what we've seen on the field the last couple of years from what we saw in the 1990s. That was annoying. That was irritating that how does this four-loss Michigan team beat an Ohio State team that should be playing for a national championship over and over and over? So Mm -hmm. we obviously got out coached or it means more to them or something like that. But when Michigan is entering the game as just as good as Ohio State, and I actually think Michigan had a more stable, consistent season through 11 games in Ohio State. And then they win the game by two and three scores for two consecutive years. So on the field, that that continues to be concerning, even though Ohio State still is fielding a top five team. When we get to the recruiting, I think this is pretty fascinating stuff here because there's a few things we have to determine if we're going to say, uh, is this meaningful? Well, it's meaningful if we look to see if it's a change over what's happened in the past. Uh, I looked at the Michigan recruiting over the past, uh, the the recruiting classes that equaled uh, the playoff teams and the Big Ten championship team. So this is 2018 through 23, where Michigan was typically not signing players out of the state of Ohio, 11 in six classes. Mm -hmm. And those players were ranking between 10 and 20 in the state of Ohio. They were not getting anybody the best player in the in the state of ohio in those six recruiting classes that went to michigan was the 10th rated player in the state of ohio Uh, so they weren't getting the top guys regardless of position and now they grabbed the number three player which i'm going to put a condition on his signing to a certain extent if he's looking at uh, a prime place to run the football and Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum most likely moving on to the NFL, then, you know, that may have factored into the decision as well. So I don't want to get too crazy on what either end of the spectrum here, but I I do think that this is pretty concerning in looking at the number of players that Michigan has typically signed under Harbaugh from the state of Ohio and the caliber of those players. Basically, Ohio State's been able to excuse in the past players signing at Michigan by saying, we don't want those players. And if you look at the Ohio high school recruiting rankings by player year to year, you see that after about the seventh or eighth best player in the state of Ohio, Ohio State doesn't deal too much past that. They'll they'll grab a guy here and there, and they'll typically become program players. But they, they really go after that top seven or eight players. And in fact, in the 2023 class, Ohio State got seven of the top eight players in the class but now we see number three goes to michigan number four is leaning heavily to michigan brian robinson Mm -hmm. uh, the edge rusher out of uh, youngstown and uh, the lineman that you just mentioned and then on top of that steve the other thing that we can be concerned about is not necessarily michigan just grabbing at this point uh, it's a very small sample size the best players but when your rival is producing the best offensive lines in college football for two consecutive years and they come in and grab 
three players that are ranked 11, 14, and 15. Two of the three are offensive linemen, the other a defensive lineman. And I would argue that Michigan has coached up their defensive line much better than Ohio State in recent years. That should be concerning because Ohio State should be able to grab those guys. And if they're either being dismissive of those players that Michigan's going to grab, and I'm going to not not uh, be too shocked if Michigan develops them into capable players that start and or contributors along the offensive line. Why is Ohio State not grabbing those players as well? You know what this conversation brings us back to as well, Mark, is the the reboot that Jim Harbaugh did. <clears throat> Pardon me. If you look at he he tried to build a program in the image of the Michigan program he played in when he first came and they had the amazing turnaround his first year. Um, the, the second year was a team that was probably good enough that season to win the national championship, had the heartbreaking loss in Columbus, uh, the heartbreaking loss in Iowa City uh, when uh, the quarterback got hurt in that game at the end. Uh, and then, you know, uh, basically didn't show up for the first half of the Orange Bowl and then made a great comeback and lost a heartbreaker there. And then, and then you had the, the rebuild year of 2017 where a lot of those guys left, and that was one of the youngest teams in the country and really struggled. They brought Shea Patterson in to, in 2018. They thought that was the team that was going to get them over the top. They go to Columbus, they get 60-burgered. And frankly, Ohio State could have scored more points in that game if it wanted to. And it was, after, it was like after that game, Jim said, I guess I'm going to have to become more like Ohio State, right? And brought, got Josh Gaddison, turned the offense over, tries to become more. They kind of lost their identity. And after he should have been fired in 2020, and if it was anybody other than the most decorated quarterback in the history of the program coaching the team, he would have been fired, I promise you. Only thing saving him was being third in line for the Heisman Trophy in 1986. That's why he survived in 2020 and got a grace year. And then when he took that year, he said, you know what, man? He kind of went Rocky Balboa in Rocky Three. Went back to the streets, man. Went back to the hood, training with Apollo Creed, you know, getting, his, getting the eye of the tiger back. Went back to power football, his style of game. Now we're recruiting Ohio kids, starting with Ohio kids that Ohio State didn't want. I mean, Bo built the Michigan program early on on recruiting Ohio kids that Woody Hayes didn't want. And then later on got the Ohio kids, once he started beating them with those guys, started getting the Ohio, Ohio kids like Desmond Howard that Ohio State did want. Okay. And, and so that's, you can see Jim is just, just kind of reinvented himself by going back to basics here. And this pattern is somewhat repeating itself a little bit. Now, now I want you to take the Buckeye hat off and look at this more as Mr. College football and answer that, answer the point that I'm making that way. What are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, uh, in the middle of your spiel there, I was thinking, yeah, Jim Harbaugh is repeating what was uh, surrounding him in the mid-80s from a certain perspective. And then, yes, uh, Ohio State uh, gave up some of its best players uh, during the Earl Bruce and and John Cooper eras. Uh, You know, we could could list them off. But I also think that it's worth noting that – to the non-recruiting person, and I'm not a recruiting guy, but I talk it every day and I bring in people that know it. So by osmosis, I pretty much know what I'm talking about, again, through the extension of other people. But Michigan built two playoff teams, two Big Ten championship teams, teams that were able to beat Ohio State, not not on a last-second field goal, but dominate the fourth quarter, two consecutive years, with recruiting classes that were 10 to 13 in the country, 22nd, one of those years that built Mm -hmm. this current team. And 
the the climb from 10 to three or four doesn't seem like a big deal on the surface. But again, if you know recruiting, you know that it's the same distance from 10 to like 30 in the country. So this is a significant push uh, that if Michigan's already able to coach and develop and culture up these players in the Michigan mold and produce champions, then if they're recruiting at the same level as Ohio State, uh, let alone better, uh, then that's that boating well for Ohio State. Before we let you go, let me ask you a specific Ohio State question. I was thinking about this because you know I'm a big NFL draft guy as well, because it's like that. It's like that. It's like the halfway point of the off season for me, and and it's the confluence of my two favorite sports: NFL and college and NFL football. <clears throat> and the other thing I love about the NFL draft is it clarifies things. You know, we always have our fan tropes, our media tropes during the college football season. NFL draft doesn't care about any of that. Just hardcore evaluation analysis. And so we find out what is we, we tend to find out in NFL draft season what was fan spin or coaching spin and what was real. Right. Because they're they just look at this all this with a pretty jaundiced eye. And I'm wondering, I have been as an NFL draft guy, really impressed with C.J. Stroud during this entire process. I was not that impressed with him as a player uh, at Ohio State. I, I thought that he was very good, but I think a lot of guys would have been very good playing the way he played with the players that he played with. I didn't think he actually was the reason that they won a game or should have won a game <clears throat> until the Georgia game. He took that team and put it on his absolute back and did it against the best team in the country and played maybe the best game I've ever seen an Ohio State quarterback ever play given the stakes and the opponent. Certainly it's in a, it's in a select group. And he's carried that forward. Um, you look at, he was clearly the alpha dog of the combine. He goes out there and says, I'm doing everything. And Bryce Young kind of shrunk a little bit, you know, in stature by not competing. Goes out, organizes his own pro day. What was that, yesterday I think they did that? Organized his own pro day, scripted his own pro day. No private quarterback coach, just took control. Like, a, I'm the face of a franchise. I'm running my own pro day. Was very impressive there. I'm wondering, in hindsight, as a Buckeye, are y'all wondering, yo, where was this guy the last two years? <laughs> All right? All of a sudden, it seems like now that, now that, and hey, give him, I understand he started young, right? Just a redshirt sophomore. And so if he came back this year, he probably would have asserted himself a little bit more into those kinds of roles, okay? But it is curious timing. Now, with money, when the money is on the line, suddenly now there's an extra gear. There's another. Suddenly, he's not just a technocratic robot quarterback delivering these feathery passes to these wide open receivers. Now he's got some swag. Now he can. Now he. Now he. Now he takes the bull by the horns. Now I want to be the face of the franchise. Have you all thought, as Ohio State fans, hey, buddy? Could have used that the last couple of years, maybe in a, in, in in a couple of those spots. You know, like at the end of November, for example. Well, that's been the knock against C.J. Stroud, and it's uh, manifested itself on the field by him just simply playing like uh, like, like a, a glass doll that uh, can't get hurt. And then against Michigan, he played a little bit more aggressively, and certainly in the Georgia game, he, he showed his running ability, not the ability itself, but the willingness to run that we have never seen. Now, there is speculation that Ryan Day has coached him in that manner to think, you know what, we're Ohio State, we're going to outclass 11 opponents, we will need you when we need you. We're not going to play Urban Meyer quarterback ball where we're going to 
make you dive into the line 14 times a game. So there is something there. Now, <laughs> it's funny you hit on the point that that I was uh, you were leading us all to, and that's uh, we all get a little bit more invested when it's our career on the line. And when there's an that, investment, yes. When, hey, <laughs> yeah. yes, he's taking control of his career. Yep, absolutely. And uh, and and like you say, we will never know if he would have become that kind of leader on the field as a senior at Ohio State. We will never know. But uh, it's. He's understanding this, the stakes, and uh, it's it's showing well for NFL scouts because the ability's there, but is the killer mentality there? At least there is a pulse there that we're finding. All right, final, final, final question. Scale of 1 to 10. 1, Alfred E. Newman, what me worry. 10, uh, fire everybody faster than you can say Earl Bruce or John Cooper. How concerned are you right now about Ohio State and where the rivalry is? Uh, well, understand, Steve, when you said earlier that I need to step out of my Buckeye colors and go to Mr. College Football. Actually, I'm I'm an old guy at this point. I'm, I'm Mr. College Football all the time. I got to <laughs> kind of step back into being Ohio State avid fan. Not that I don't want the Buckeyes to win every game and I'm a big fan. But, man, I used to just, yes. You know, all the all the cliches about how how much of a fan you can be blood, sweat and tears as a 20, 25 year old. So as a Buckeye fan. Six, I'm at a six because I think it's it's not because of what you stated about Ohio State being so strong in so many ways and will continue to be. That's not the concern. It's more about Michigan and a new Michigan combined with an old Michigan, and that's a killer combination. But it's also Ryan Day. Don't know if necessarily he's the guy. He's really good at what he does. And if he instills the kind of toughness and mental toughness that we really need against Michigan playing Jim Harbaugh, Michigan football like we haven't seen for 20 years. Good stuff, my friend. Appreciate you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Steve. You bet. We'll come back, wrap things up here in a moment with our Twitter poll results and our feedback of the week next. Thanks, Mark. Have a good day. Thank you, Aaron. <clears throat> I I probably failed to tell you this at some point, but uh, obviously, Steve, I have. But uh, you guys, uh, I catch your, your regular show uh, as much as I possibly can. It is a must listen. And you guys are really hitting on things of importance and make me feel ashamed at times that I'm doing what I'm doing. Switching to hoops, we asked you, is Jawan Howard on the hot seat next season? 83% of you had the right answer. Yes. If he doesn't make the tournament next year, he'll be gone. Promise. 17% of you were wrong. No. Which brings us to our feedback of the week from Ronan Sports Talk. Talking about Michigan hockey, and I pointed out, hey, on our Twitter feed, at Michigan Podcast this week, I have no idea if Brandon Arado can build and sustain a college hockey program. But I do know that an interim coach keeping this many talented players focused, I mean, th th these aren't just NHL draft picks. Like, guys that are like the number two pick in the draft are on this Michigan hockey team. So keeping this many young guys with so many players already looking at lucrative futures, keeping them focused for an entire year, 
and then winning the Big Ten tournament again, that's very impressive. And in response to that, Ronan Sports Talk says that uh, Narado should have lost the interim tag and been made head, head coach already. And Michigan hockey, uh, Michigan is to hockey as Alabama is to football, meaning the, the program recruits at an elite level itself. And Narado showed the team plays good under him. And the players also play for him. Uh, and in his opinion, this is not a debate. That's an interesting perspective. I think you could actually flip the script on that, though, Mr. Ronan. I think you could say, if you're Ward Manuel, and and really giving Brandon Narado the head coaching job is the Ward Manuel safe move. That's, I mean, that, I mean Ward Manuel is a human condom. I mean, whatever is the absolute safest, least offensive option uh, that will take the least amount of risk and uh, show the least amount of leadership is typically the path they'll choose, okay? But um, the riskier play is to say the opposite, which is because you're right, Michigan hockey recruits itself. Let's go ahead, man, and go out there and see if we can get somebody else because recruiting is not going to be a problem no matter whom we get. And maybe we can get somebody that does have more experience building and sustaining a program. But in my opinion, Brandon Arado has done what is necessary to earn the interim tag, but I won't, or, or I'm sorry, to get the interim tag removed, but I won't be upset if it doesn't happen just simply because that'll show that um, Ward Manuel actually has some balls. All right. Uh, that'll do it for this week's episode. We'll be back again following Michigan's spring game in a couple of weeks right here on Michigan Podcast. Don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, share, five-star review. Uh, help us to find as many Michigan fans just like you as we can. And thank you to all of you that have done those things for us, whether you're watching here on YouTube or listening on iTunes. We appreciate each and every one of you. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter in between episodes on the aforementioned at Michigan Podcast. Until the next time, I'm Steve Dace. Go Blue.